Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. We're going to be talking about the DC Comics released on January 9th, 2019. But first, we're going to talk about Aquaman a bit. So, Vince, give us your Aquaman thoughts. Um, it stinks. Well, Vince hasn't seen the movie yet. And he's trying <laughs> to come off like he's a regular Jay Sherman. Uh brother from another yep. series do you guys have a particular favorite uh fake movie from the critic oh god i don't know if i remember any but i don't i don't know if i know any by uh by name the one i always remember is arthur three like the dudley moore arthur series <laughs> and it's it, everybody do yourselves a favor later tonight just google the critic arthur three you will not be disappointed it's fantastic <laughs> okay uh no so so Zach and I have seen Aquaman. Um I was one of five people in the nice morning screening I went for Aquaman. It was it was lovely. Um yeah, Zach, what did you think? What was your uh, initial reaction to the movie? Um so my initial reaction was kind of just like ooh, that was really goofy. Um but A few days removed, I think I may have liked it. <laughs> a glowing endorsement <laughs> from one Zachary Wilkerson. I think I may have liked it. I I am like weirdly tempted to go see it again. I won't just because I I, I refuse to go see movies twice these days unless it's like Star Wars or something. But I I want to see it again. I don't disagree with you. It was pretty fun, I think. Um, <laughs> we're, we're being super, <laughs> we're being super cautious with our praise here. So, real, real quick, there, there are a few things I have to get off my okay. chest. All right, lay it on me. So you know how Wonder Woman has her guitar riff, yep. and Aquaman has his guitar riff yep. now. It's like those three notes. Yep. That sound just like the first three notes of Hit Me Baby One More Time. <laughs> yes. One hundred percent. I didn't notice that, but now I'm hearing it in my head and you're totally right. Uh, every time. <laughs> uh the other thing, um there's a part in the movie towards the very end where uh William Defoe Willem, as Willem Volko, Defoe. Willem Willem that's what I, I said. said. William. No, I said right, Willem. Just making sure. Or I, I think it was kind of like I think I might have mixed it. Okay. It wasn't a hard William, okay. but okay. I understand how it's nothing spelled. but respect for my um, Green Goblin. Okay, go ahead. Um, regardless, <laughs> Volko is, is in prison in that little ship thing, mm-hmm. and Arthur is coming to save the day. And there are multiple there are multiple cuts to and from. Volko to Aquaman, mm-hmm. and it was just shy of being the Vince McMahon <laughs> gift. <laughs> You're not wrong about that. I gotta see this movie. Yeah. 
it's a lot of those kind of yes, moments, it is. honestly. It is. Um, all right, so my first sort of overall note on the movie is I can't believe how much Aquaman shit they squeezed into this movie. <laughs> it's like two movies. Yeah, but but like if you think about I, I'm trying okay, okay, Vince, we're gonna play we're gonna do a little test here. Name like ten things that you think if there was a trilogy of Aquaman movies. Name characters, situations, whatever you would see in those in that trilogy of movies. Um, the trench. In it. Uh, I mean, Ocean Master, but I already okay, know yeah. he's obviously that, that he's yeah. in that. Same with uh, Black yep. Manta. I mean, I don't know what else you want from Merc? me. Uh, you got like some Merc action. Merc's in it. Well, yeah, of course, Merc is uh, a. Yeah, Volca was in it. Uh-huh. We get the full, like, full-on Aquaman origin. You know, m- mom and dad, different, uh, different worlds, etc. We get all seven realms that are from the the lost Jeff Johns Rise of the Seven Seas arc. We get um, hints of like a hundred weird things. Like in the sixties, Aquaman. I'm drawing a blank on the name now. Aquaman had that um, octopus sidekick. Oh yeah, he's okay. in the movie playing the drums. It's a legitimate thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, um, nice. There's uh, we're essentially given a bunch of. Oh, we got King Atlan in there. Um, th- there is just. There is so much stuff that happens in this movie. I feel like every, like everything that would encompass like the first season of an Aquaman TV show happened in this one movie. They really <laughs> almost kind of squeezed in the entire Jeff Johns run. Yes, plus Rise of the Seven Seas. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Um, aside from the others, no others. Right. Gotta wait till. The, the sequel, yeah. which there will be, most likely, yes. Um, it's the it's the the biggest DC EU film yeah, ever, which is sort of crazy to me. It is insane. I wonder if that. I wonder hmm. how much of that is just like straight Momoa love. I I don't know. It is a Momoa vehicle. Though. Oh, absolutely. I I I can't count the number of times that are just him standing with his his legs in a v you know and his hands in his front pockets and just like protruding his crotch region out (laughs) and then just so you're telling me that grunting you're telling me that he's got big dick energy in this all the time big trident energy 1000 percent. big trident energy um can we talk about how how gungan atlantis is Oh, but also how Tron? <laughs> yes, yes. But I was specifically taken by how how much it's it's Phantom Menacey. Yeah, it's very, very Phantom Menacey. Aside from the like retro techno soundtrack that exclusively plays in the Atlanta <laughs> scenes. Yes. Um, um. Yeah. Very. Very. This movie was trying to be so many things. It yes, there was some some episode one energy, tons of Lord of the Rings and oh, Game, yeah. of the Thrones, Game, Game, Game of the Thrones. Game of the Thrones. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Uncle Uncle Zach. <laughs> the kids watch the Game it's, of the Thrones. It's, 
It's Will- <laughs> Willem the Thrones. Yeah, Willem, Willem the, the Thrones. What? Game of Thrones energy. Um, there's that. The there's a bit of like Tomb Raider. Okay. Indiana Jones. I have a comment on that. Don't let me forget it. Okay. Okay. There's some rom com. Yep. Um. There. There is. Okay. So the entire tidal wave sequence uh-huh. where they're driving on the road. Yep. That is like ripped frame for frame, and this is um, courtesy of listener uh, of the show uh, Patrick Baird. Um, is almost ripped directly from the Studio Ghibli film Ponyo. Okay. Um, There's just so much in this movie. Okay, so the Indiana Jones thing, before I forget, there were totally moments where they were trying to make Arthur and Mira like Karen Allen and Harrison Ford from Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I think more Uh than anything else, they wound up as Rachel Weisz and Brendan Fraser from The Mummy. Like yes. there is so much mummy vibe yeah. in this movie. So great. Yes. I mean, this sounds great. <laughs> yes. You agree, Zach? Good. I'm, I'm glad that was not a, an observation that's falling on deaf ears. I can't. Vince, Vince, I have to ask Vince okay. a question. Vince, if if you were in a plane <laughs> flying to the Saharan Africa, what song do you think would play? Uh, probably uh, Seven Nation Army. But... No. Excellent no. guess. <laughs> Excellent oh, guess. Oh, I know. Wait, I know. I know. I know what, what song it? it would be. Of course, what is Arthur's it? theme. It would be. It would be a Pitbull version of Toto's <laughs> <Yes>. Africa. <laughs> the worst. I already knew this. One. The worst music sting <laughs> of all time. Like really, a terrible, terrible choice. Worse than several of them that we commented on for Watchmen. Uh. Pretty bad. I think it's pretty bad. That's a really bad uh, <laughs> moment in the film. Um, but there were, but so bad it's good. Yes, maybe. <laughs> See, this sounds great. Um, so there's uh, yeah, there are like nine films shoved within this one film. But I have to say, like, I think that for the most part, each of those little mini films kind of works on its own. Merits? I think so, honestly. Yeah. None of them um, are going to blow you away, but all of them pretty much do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. I think maybe the weakest one was the Sicilian rom com. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like a sexual act, but I, I literally mean a rom com set in Sicily. <laughs> So so like so there's also like an Audrey Hepburn movie in here is what you're saying. Um no, it's like a Hugh Grant movie. Oh. Yeah. There there's a part where Mira buys a flower from a from a street vendor or is given a flower. And then Bella. Yeah, and then sees <laughs> someone taking a piece of fruit from a vendor and eating it. And so of course Mira eats the flower. Um, and then, and then, in a, a true, true meat cute fashion, uh, Arthur also eats the flower. Mm. It's what it's quite sweet. Yeah, it, it all this all sounds very good. Uh, I don't know what <laughs> you guys sound a lot more mixed than you should be. There was uh, the sequence like that comes right out of that where they're running down the uh, like the villa essentially. Zach, didn't that remind you uh-huh. of the Ed Norton Hulk movie? 
It's been so long since I've seen the that. The only scene that rings um, a bell for me in that movie is when they're like running through that South American village, and that I got I got, I got I vibes remember. like that from that scene. Um, uh, so a few things there. There were some truly beautiful sequences in the in the movie. I mentioned the the tidal wave scene. Um, I think the most striking was the trench scene mm-hmm. where they're they're diving down with the flare yeah. and it does that like big pan out cross section of the water. Yeah. Like that was beautiful. I agree. Absolutely. It felt too it felt too artsy to be in this film. But which which version of this film? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um the whole final battle sequence was like I, okay, I said that this film had Lord of the Rings energy, but what it actually had was Hobbit trilogy yes, energy yes, that because is, that that's, way more that's what it was. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Um, but it was insane. Like, I just can't. <laughs> There's so much in this movie, and I want to talk about eventually, like, we need to talk about, or I want to talk about the Rise of Seven Seas stuff. Okay, so I, I was saying to the boys via text that there is a, like, 40-minute Aquaman documentary now on DC Universe, the, the streaming service, and so I watched it last week, and in there, Jeff Johns says that, you know, essentially a good chunk of this movie is the stuff that he was going to do in the Rise of the Seven Seas Justice League crossover with Aquaman that he never got to do. And um, I actually, I had seen that documentary after seeing the film because when I was watching the film, I was saying like, huh, this sure feels like they're going to show these seven different areas that would seem like the seven seas that John's talked about. And then, you know, voila, that is, that is what indeed happened. Um, my criticism of, of the seven seas stuff is I don't think that there was all that much story there for them. Like a lot of times it seemed like we were going to the seven seas. Like there were some of those, some of those realms that we visited were just simply to notch them off the seven list. Right. Like not, not not everyone had a purpose. Well, so, well, two were, were still active and were, were armies for Orm to conquer. And then, so you had those two. You had Atlantis and uh, uh, Zabel or uh, Zabel, yeah, yeah Zabel. Um, so that's four. The, de- the, the there is the, the desert, desert one, one yeah. which was the deserters. <laughs> it's literally, what it's called, Vince? The deserters. Oh my gosh, the deserters. Um, and then there was um, the trench. What was the the trench? The trench, which we already knew about. Um, and then the the lost right, one. Yeah. So really, I, I was trying as I was watching the movie. I both, you know, enjoying it for what it was, but I was also at the same time trying to imagine what the actual Rise of the Seven Seas arc would have been like. Um, because there, there are a few things that are would have been clearly different from this. You know, for one, Orm probably wouldn't have been playing the role that he played in this film, right? Um, because he had already kind of done that in the Justice League crossover and was uh, living with his his uh, human bride. Yes, yeah. 
Um, so I was thinking about that and like maybe like who the antagonist would have been. Um, but I think a lot of it still, especially I think the from the point where he gets to the trench on, I feel like that would have been like the last two issues or so of that arc. And it would have been actually pretty nice, I think. You know, I know we weren't all the biggest fans of the Jeff Johns Aquaman uh, run. Um, although I am tempted to like go reread it now, but I think it would have been a nice uh, bookend to have him kind of return to the trench again, and then the the payoff. Here's the big payoff, Vince. Um, he uh, he he Barry Allen's uh, Arthur um, because he gets to he finds his mom who <laughs> is still alive. Um, it, it was thought that she was sacrificed to the trench um, for like treason uh, or whatever, but she actually got sent to the lost. Well, no, she was, she was banished to the trench, but she survived. No. Right. Right. But I thought, uh, okay, sorry. I guess I misspoke. I meant it was thought that she was sent to the trench and killed. Right. It, that's she wasn't to the trench. She, 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 she was presumed yes, dead, yeah. but she got sent to She's, the lost city. She, she survived and found her way to this lost city. Uh-huh. Right. And in a story beat that is 1,000% in execution, visuals, everything ripped from Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. If either yep. of you all uh-huh. saw that. Um, exact same. Huh. Um, but I feel like that would have been like the big payoff end of end of that storyline. Yeah. I was wondering how much of the plot of Rise of the Seven Seas was used here versus just like the different creatures and their worlds. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think those those two things, like the return to the trench and the the reveal that uh, Atlanta is that her name. I think so. Not Atlanta, but Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. That seems right. I don't know. That she's Willem still alive. Defoe. Yeah. Willem Defoe. No, um, it has to be your Atlanta. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but overall, I would say. I mean, I don't think it was as good as Wonder Woman. I don't either. But I will say it is. Easily the second best DCEU movie. I think that's fair. And and you want to know my... I, this isn't really a hot take, but even though I didn't like it better than Wonder Woman, I'm more excited for an Aquaman sequel than I am for the Wonder Woman sequel. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, I feel like there are so many things that they can do in an Aquaman sequel that would be extremely interesting. Not that there couldn't be in Wonder Woman. Um, but I mean, just like thinking about it. Um, and they, they, they do their best in the credit, in the end credit sequence to ex- essentially tell you what Aquaman two is going to be, which is they, they pick the least interesting thing. <laughs> yes. But <laughs> what is, what is it's it? It's a black man. Essentially. <laughs> it's oh. a black. Um, but like they could, they could introduce, they, they could they could introduce Tempest and and some of the magic stuff. Um, if they if they touched on Atlantean stuff a little bit more, they could go back and they could they could do, uh, Arian, 
if they wanted to go back and do some more old Atlanta stuff, um, they could give Arthur a hook hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, that would be the most Momoa thing they could do. I'm surprised that didn't happen in this movie, honestly. They had to save something uh, for the sequel. They have to save something. Guaranteed hook hand in the next yeah. film. <laughs> I, I think that's the safest bet you'll make this year. Uh, hook hand in the sequel. So, Zach, here's my question for you that I had at the end of the movie. And it's nothing to do with what we saw on screen, really. It's just sort of just taking the temperature of the DCEU right now. So I think we can all guess that we're going to get a recast Superman and Batman, right? That's going to happen. You would think. Probably, like, very soon we'll get the announcement of that happening. Yeah. Well, did you see that Matt Reeves' Batman is supposedly going into production at the end of the year? Yes. So... If that's the case, do we get a essentially a rebooted Justice League movie in a couple of years? Or are they not going to even attempt to bring these characters together in that way? Like, I think it's more likely at this point that we get a Flashpoint movie to allow Jason Momoa and uh, Gal Gadot to fight each other than it is we get a Justice League movie. I, I think that the Flashpoint thing will still happen, yes. Um, but, you know, I like at this point, I I think I think Shazam is probably going to do well yeah. and be in, fairly enjoyable. Um, at that point, we would have Shazam, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Flash, and Cyborg. I would love, air quotes around love, hypothetical love, to just have a Justice League movie with those five and then maybe introduce like one more new character, like maybe Green Lantern well, or Martian Manhunter or something. Is supposedly, like, you know, further along than almost any of the other DCEU films. Right. I, th- I think that, I think they could do a Justice League movie. At this point, honestly, I think that it would not be the worst thing in the world for them to do a Justice League movie without Superman and Batman in it. I think they'll do it without Superman. I don't think they'll do it without Batman. Well, they're cowards. (laughs) I mean, it seems to me like you're almost at a point where you could do um, like one of those late 80s, early 90s Justice League lineup movies where, you know, it's Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, and then a bunch of sort of lower tier heroes. You know, the Bros Before Heroes uh, crew of uh, mm-hmm. Blue and Black. Sure. <laughs> I, I was flipping through the the DCEU Wikipedia today and just guffawing at the list <laughs> of movies that have been announced or at discussed to any varying degree um lay some on us it's hilarious oh man uh well there is a, there's a booster gold blue beetle movie um but then there was also a jamie reyes right. thing um jaime uh there were did i say did jamie uh, willem defoe <laughs> fuck you guys like seriously <laughs> Uh, so a Jaime Reyes movie, yes. I read it. I read it as Jamie in my head for a very long time before I understood that that uh, was a name. That uh, before I understood the correct pronunciation. Sure. Sure. 
Um, I forgive you. So sometimes, sometimes these things just yeah. fl- slip out. Um, I also, fun fact, uh, Harry Potter, uh, Ron's sister, Ginny, uh, until the films came out, I called her Guinea. <laughs> you hate Italians. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. I think I also, not, I, I think my, uh, no, there, there was probably a good amount of time where I called Hermione Hermione. I think everyone called um, Hermione Hermione. Well, there you go. Um, names are hard. I call um, it Jamie. <laughs> uh, well, you know, that's how it's spelled in Game of Thrones, and that's how you say it. So, once again, fuck you, Vince. <laughs> um, 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 there was a Lobo movie announced, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, but I think The Rock was tagged in that. Yes. Um, and he's clearly going to be Black Adam one day. <laughs> Clearly, uh, <laughs> that'll definitely happen. It'll definitely happen one day. Um, there was also the the Joss Whedon Batgirl yeah. um, that I read is actually now maybe being looked at by someone who worked on the treatment for Birds of Prey. Actually, maybe um, someone said it was it was linked on Wikipedia. Um, there. There was some more for sure. Plastic Man. There was a Plastic yep. Man thing. Um, I don't know. Those are the really good ones that I'm remembering off the top of my head. Um, yeah. Sugar and Spice. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> Sugar and Spike. Is it Will Spike? There, there are both, I believe. Okay. Which one was the Keith, Keith Giffen thing? Spike, yeah, that was Spike. Okay, I'm just waiting for my Bibbo movie. <laughs> you could play Bibbo in a movie. Superman, oh, New Gods. How did I forget about New Gods? Oh, well, New Gods is actually happening. Wow. Well, yeah. I, I, I'm doing the world's largest air quotes around actually happening, but like that, that has an announced director at least. Whereas most of these films, yeah, a lot of these have also funny thing. Looking at the list of directors, uh, credited directors for the Flash movie oh, oh, is also is very funny. Nine of them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, remember, um, Lord and Miller were gonna do it, huh? mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah. Just make uh just make Grant Gust Grant Gust in the Flash, you cowards. He's so good. Um any other Aquaman thoughts, Zach? Um it was a movie that was maybe better than the sum of its parts. Yeah. It, it's it, one of the things I, I did want to say was that I feel like, while I still don't see Jason Momoa as, like he is not who I would cast as Aquaman, right? Um, but I think that the movie did a really good job of presenting Arthur as a three dimensional character, and I think that like Orm gets a similarly three dimensional telling in it, as does Mira as does Volko. Like, it really does give a relatively well-rounded uh, introduction to the entire Aquaman cast. 
And so I think that mm-hmm. it, it has established itself as a valid and viable Aquaman story, even if it's not, like I said, what I would necessarily want to see as an Aquaman story. Yeah. I don't know. I think live-action superheroes are dead anyway. <laughs> the whole time I was thinking this would be better if it was animated. I still haven't seen Spider-Verse, so I... Uh... Well, you're not fully woke well, yet. I, I had the choice whether I was going to see that or Aquaman, and I, I knew we were going to be talking about it, so I chose Aquaman. That's but fair. I'll see Spider-Verse soon. Um, I also think it's interesting just how much they made Ocean Master look like comic Aquaman. <laughs> yeah until he gets everyone had their comic book costumes in this it was yes. ridiculous i just meant like no you're not going to be getting any of those uh what the uh, characters in aquaman should have looked like yeah exactly uh, i i although cbr will still yeah. do it i do wish that they did a uh, they didn't reveal momoa in the traditional aquaman costume that would have been a cool surprise in the theater Oh, yeah, like in the trailers yeah, and everything. Yeah. yeah. He was just wearing like a several thousand year old dead man's clothes. <laughs> yep. It's pretty gross. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, yes, I must become an Aquaman. <laughs> uh, I also like how, like, this is something that has definitely happened more since the rise of the gritty Batman stuff, but how almost every superhero movie, specifically DC superhero movie, somebody at one point says, so you're the, insert hero name here, so you're the Aquaman, so you're the Wonder Woman. Like they, After the Batman became a thing, it's like every character now gets the blank. Uh-huh. It's very edgy. It is. So you're the Willem Dafoe. I don't want this to be my joke. (laughs) This is the worst uh, of between Dirty Computer and the Alphabet. This is the worst one. And I refuse to let it go beyond this episode. Find anything else. I don't care. Pick something else. Ooh, okay. Vince, that gives us a lot of material to work with. We could pick literally anything else. Right. Zachy will rue the day that you that you took this off the off the board as your joke. I'm I'm thinking of things that there's no way I'm gonna say. Let's run through them. No, no, no. That's at the end, I, at the end, we'll talk Zach about. Zach is so tall because he's a vampire for babies, and so he just drinks the blood, and he grows every time he drinks the vamp- baby blood. What? We can make anything up. You said you said you have no no parameters. Okay, so you're a vampire, but for that's babies. fine. There we go. I'm I'm a baby vampire. Yeah. Okay. Oh man! Speaking of that, I watched the first episode of Castlevania. Um, lots of lots of sexual goat jokes. Wasn't ready for that. <laughs> Warren Ellis, he's a wild guy. He is. He is. Um, so should we talk about some comics? Oh, might as well. All right, well, we are going to start today talking about uh, Young Justice number one, written by future podcast guest Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Patrick Gleason. Um, 
Vince, we've been talking a lot. You should get some, a chance to lead this conversation. So go ahead and, and tell us what you thought about this issue. Well, for starters, I'm just thrilled that this that these characters are back. Mm-hmm. Pretty much across the board. Um, you know, new characters notwithstanding. Uh, Ginny Hex and, and Teen Lantern seem pretty great so far. But I, I'm talking about... You know, Bart, um, Tim, Connor, and Cassie, and even Amethyst. Yeah. Who, Who's getting a spinoff uh, series, lo- by the way. Yes. Yep. Oh, I didn't see that. Bendis said he's working with a, quote, big-name creator on an Amethyst spinoff series. A big-name creator. Uh, That's interesting. That is interesting. Um, I thought this first issue was just Okay. I think if I I think if I set aside just the fact that I wanted to see these characters again, um, the story itself doesn't do that much for me yet. It feels like you know a lot a lot of time. Okay, here's what I'll say: a lot of times in these comics, uh, when you're altering continuity or going getting to a new status quo or whatever uh, in the decompressed era of comics, they take way too long to get a team together. I think we've had that, those conversations on this show in the past and have criticized some books for just taking way too long to get going. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're canceled in 12, 18 issues and you feel, you feel like you didn't get an actual story with these characters. So this book airs on the side of basically just throwing everybody together, whether whether it really makes sense or not. And I guess if I if you were to ask me which I prefer, it's this. I, I like that by the end of this issue, we've seen every character. Um, we only everything. we <laughs> we only see Connor for a little bit on the on the very last page, but you know. Everybody, everybody's there. Everybody's here. Uh, Bart says Young Justice is yep. back in this comic. You know, um, th- that's important to me. But if I, if I'm to be honest, then and 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 like ob- objectively critical, it really feels like this is just a complete uh, reuniting out of convenience. <laughs> for the for getting this team back together because none of it's explained and none of it really makes any sense and i'm sure that in you know it, over the course of this arc they may explain how all these wayward heroes got back together you know but this issue couldn't be more like let's just mash all these characters together and they have to they have to get, uh you know fight some villain right yeah. um like like you know we don't really know why uh Tim is back, why he's just Robin now and why, like how he just happened to bump into Cassie. You know what I mean? It's all very convenient. Um, And Bart just like whizzes in and like, it really is not explained at all. (laughs) Um, But that's fine. Um, I thought it was beautiful to look at. Gleason never, never lets us down. And, and uh, the like youthful, exuberance that he had while drawing like John Kent in the Superman book um, under Tomasi is like totally present here. Um, So it was a really nice read and it was, it was fun and funny. 
I I liked it. What can I say? I'm excited to have these guys back. So what do you guys think? Zach, go ahead. I yeah, I I greatly enjoyed it. I I uh, agree with your critiques, Vince, although I am I'm very glad that it wasn't I'm glad that all of those things were not explained because that would have probably not been a very interesting first issue in my opinion. Um, mm. I'm kind of glad that this issue, this issue felt like a celebration to me. It, it was, it was Bendis and Gleason just being extremely giddy to have all of these, to get to reintroduce some of these characters and have them all back together. Um, it really did feel like, you know, he just has all of these toys and he's throwing them all together and it, it's just meant to be fun and exciting. Um, you know, there is a, a little bit of story here, which I particularly want to talk a little bit about the seven crises thing yes. um, in a minute. But like, I'm one. I'm I'm definitely okay with this being just getting everybody on the table, and then subsequent issues can kind of zoom back a bit and and s- explain kind of how everyone got here. My hot take is I don't even care if they ever do that, to be honest with you. There you go. <laughs> I'm just cool with this. Uh, you know, one of the nice things about the, the makeup of this team is that because Bart is from the future and because it's an indeterminate future at this point, we don't, you know, we don't know his his exact deal in Rebirth or whatever. You can use him as, like, he, because he says Young Justice is back, that is obviously supposed to be him speaking for us as the audience, right? That that's it's our celebratory mm-hmm. cry, but it's also because he's from the future. He knows that Young Justice was already a thing, and he knows who Connor is, even though other people may not necessarily know who Connor is. Like it, that character allows Bendis to have his cake and eat it too. It allows him to introduce all these characters as new to the other characters. It allows them to do new in-story introductions, but allows the reader the familiarity reveals as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's that's actually very, very smart uh, of Bendis to have that, to have him in that role in the book. Um, I want to talk about the coloring on this issue. Uh, Alejandro Sanchez did the colors, and I feel like this was one of the more subdued color jobs recently at DC. Did you guys feel that way? Um, no, I didn't think that actually. I feel like I... so much of the the Young Justice comics I remember are super duper bright, and, and this did not I feel, feel like this is very bright. Like, look at that page. Look at the the big impulse page. I'm sorry, I'm scrolling to get there. It's uh, page 21 in the PDF. I'm there. Well, okay, that page in particular is very bright. But I, I, I think that there's a sort of more washed out look to it. It's not quite as... The contrast isn't as bright. Is it as as it as defined by there between colors? I feel like everything is a little bit more um, 
I don't want to say washed out. That's a, that. There's a negative connotation to that. I have a theory there. Okay, what's that theory? And we can't prove it unless did DC send you a copy? No, of this? were you going to say this is the new paper stock? I have yeah. the same thought. Yeah, I, I don't have a physical copy of this yet, so I don't know. I I, I kind of I don't wonder. mean that as a negative. I, I liked the way this book looked. Yeah, um, it was just it just looks different than other DC comics right now. I I thought it was beautiful. Like I think this is some of Gleason's best work. He just keeps getting better, which is crazy because I've been reading comics by him for over a decade now. Um, yeah, no, I thought this was a very pretty book. He says, not that you're saying no, it's yeah. not. Um, I was going to say Gleason is as good of an artist as he is a podcast guest. Good guy. Remember when we talked to him, guys? I yeah, do. he was great. Remember when his his interview partner <laughs> punked out on us, kind of? All right. Um, <laughs> this book also lets Bendis do some stuff. Like, there's that page where Robin says, "Uh oh, you asked for it. Wonder Girl is back." Like stuff like that is very, very, um, you know, fourth wally. But but it's yeah. also really like I, I think because it's the first issue. And because it has been so long since these people were not only just in a DC comic, but called Young Justice, like all of this is just so, this is so momentous that they're allowed a little bit more um, fanfare in this issue than than I would have liked. Then maybe if it was issue like 10, I may not feel as good about that. This this is just incredible to me. Like I I know I'm prone to hyperbole, but <laughs> I mean, like this is just so this is just such a thing. Like, like this this feels like flagship worthy. Like th- like sorry Justice League. Like Young Justice is here, and they're gonna do a story about the history of Crisis in the DC universe. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's crazy. We need we need to absolutely talk about that. Go for it, Vince. Because. Well, I okay. Here is here is something that I know about comic book writers, and so do you guys. It's that almost every one of them, if they get to have a long run at a company or whatever, um, and and I I'm pretty confident that Bendis will have a pretty long run at, at DC, at least compared to most creators, right? They drop these elements in early and they go back to them and they, they love doing things like that. And it makes me think that, you know, Bendis is bringing up the crises here in young justice. It makes me think that we are eventually going to get a Bendis crisis. How could he, how could he not, if he's going to have like a career defining run at DC, um, and, and like really make his imprint there, how can he not eventually do a crisis? You know, yeah, I would say I feel like this is the seeds right here. I would say we're maybe still a Snyder crisis away from that. I don't, yeah, I don't know know if Snyder will do a crisis. So so let's talk about the seven crises. So there, there are like four that are very, very clear, right? Crisis Mm -hmm. on Infinite Earths, uh, Infinite Crisis, Final Crisis. And I think we can all agree that Flashpoint is considered a crisis, correct? Yeah, 
I yeah. think so. Okay. So that's four. Is Zero Hour a crisis in time counted on there, you think? Yeah, it definitely. I think okay, so. so. that's five. I think that's safe. Um, do we think that the original Crisis on Two Earths, the original joining of the Earth 1 and Earth 2 continuities together, are they counting that in here? See, I wonder how literal he is counting crises at this point. Because if you wanted to just round it out as seven crises, Flashpoint would be the only one that we've mentioned so far that doesn't have crisis in the title. Right. Like, the other two crisis stories are Identity Crisis and Heroes in Crisis. But but those both blow, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they don't really fit into... No, what this is talking about. But this so, is talking about like I'm fine al- with leaving those like off. the alignment of the multiverse. Right, right. Um, who, who? Nate, your 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 point could be good, a, a valid one, Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm well, trying like, to think of is other metal considered a crisis. Maybe, and that's kind of like on Vince's point about whether or not Snyder will ever do one. I almost kind of feel like Metal was his like, crisis, because he actually wanted to call it Dark Crisis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like um, metal plus, like, No Justice, you know, like that whole yeah, that whole thing. The whole Dark Multiverse saga. Yeah, I think that could definitely be one. Are there any other events that we're forgetting that we think would be considered crisis level events? Um, Convergence. <laughs> oh gosh. I mean, I don't know why I said that like yogurt, <laughs> but Convergence merchandising. We are Telos. <laughs> Talos the flamethrower. <laughs> Talos the lunchbox. <laughs> Talos the forgotten DC series. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I don't know if there's any other... What I think is one of the most interesting thing about, about the crisis, the crises, is that more often than not, something really interesting comes out of them. Like I was thinking when I was trying to, to name like, you know, what, what we think Bendis is referring to here, the, these seven crises, I was thinking about like how, you know, out of infinite crisis came 52 and out of final crisis came Batman Inc. And out mm-hmm. of zero hour came like so many of those interesting new series, but you know, of course I'm going to highlight Starman as part of that. Um, and how out of Crisis on Infinite Earth, like, legends came out of that, right? And there were all these sort of really, um, like, in a, in a way, the eras are not defined by its crisis. It's defined by the immediate aftermath of the crisis. Like, even the New 52 is, people remember that more than they remember Flashpoint, you know? Um, and I was wondering what you guys think the, like... Um, the era-defining story out of metal would be at this point, or are we still too are we still too close to it? Um. Well, clearly it's sideways because he <laughs> he was made it he into was, Action Comics. He 1, was a Superman, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, oh, you guys. Um, I know Snyder wants really it to be to Justice think. League. Yeah. Right, I, which it may end up being. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nothing in New Age of Heroes has taken up that mantle. Is there something that we really like that I'm not thinking of? I don't think they're split out of metal, no. I mean, unless, uh, I mean, just, is Rebirth the Seventh Crisis? I don't know. Yeah, see, because Rebirth is such a weird thing. Because I was thinking, like, Superman Reborn was kind of a thing, but it was just a very small thing right? Or, for Superman. Or, like, Wally coming, like, that DC Universe Rebirth number uh, one, like, that... That has huge implications, but I wouldn't call that a crisis. Yeah, yeah. Um, We're spending a lot of time on this, but that's okay. <laughs> it's easily the biggest book of the week. No, but... I don't. I don't mean the book. I mean this this debate about the crisis, and that's you know. Yeah, I mean, but I, you know, that's what everybody is going to be talking right. about on uh, on, Wednesday. on our comics. Yeah. yeah, I mean, last week, you know, they had sexy scar bat girl and this week they've got seven crises yeah. so rise of the seven crises um so i have a couple questions about some of these new characters do we ever see teen lantern no uh, i didn't know so. not in this book. on the cover yeah, you do on the cover, but but in the issue itself, we never see Teen Lantern. No, no, just constructs. I think that's a pretty cool idea, and I kind of wish they hadn't shown her on the. Co- I know the original cover was like Bart, Tim, and Connor, and they changed it because there were cries of it being sexist, just showing the three male characters. Even mm-hmm. though the second issue was then going to have the female characters. But yeah, right. it, it was changed for that reason. But I kind of wish you didn't know what Teen Lantern looks like because that was sort of fun throughout the issue that you never see her. You only see her like through the veil of her constructs. Mm-hmm. I, I like that mm-hmm. touch. Um, I think this is the coolest team. Just just going by the the team members who are on the cover, it's just, it's the coolest team. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty dope, right? I, 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 I don't that, think there's ever been a cooler team. No, it's the funny. best team. It's the best team. Do you want to hear my bonkers theory about this team? No, no that's okay. <laughs> do it. No, do I'm it done. now. I'm done. I'm not doing it. It's over. <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. So uh, last week on Instagram, Bendis teased 10 like things that are, mm-hmm. we're going to see from his comics in 2019. And one of them was Batman Beyond. And I, I think uh, we're going to get a time-traveling Batman on this team. We're going to see Terry on this team. I, I'm, I feel pretty strongly about that. Sure. That would be, be interesting. Awesome. At least for a short I'm time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet a little bit safer and say it's just an arc. Oh yeah, I, I'm not saying it's gonna be forever, but I think, I, I think 
okay. I think this is the book we're going to see Terry in. Uh, um, that would whip. What if? What if? What if we get the end of Jurgens' Batman Beyond book, and then we get a new Batman Beyond folded on into the Wonder Comics banner? That would rock. I wouldn't be surprised. And what if Oming's on art? Yeah, uh, I know we're all getting hard over this idea of a Bendis Oming. <laughs> Batman Beyond series, but that would be amazing. Oh. Uh, can we talk about Wonder Comics as just sort of a like a, a theory? Well, not a theory, but like in theory yeah. for a minute here. Um, it's a really interesting collection of books so far. So we have we have this, we have Naomi, which is which we know very little about so far. But it's a David Walker, Brian Bendis joint. We have Dial H for Hero, and we have the Wonder Twins miniseries. Is it a miniseries, actually, or is that an ongoing? I, I didn't know that it was a miniseries. I think it might just be a mini. I could be wrong about that, though. Um, regardless, do we think that it's going to be predominantly just young characters? It... I I think that's a safe bet. It seems, seems like that it. way. Yeah. Are there any other characters you guys? Th- and then the the real question that I have coming out of that is: Is Legion going to be a Wonder Comics title? Well, that was another big, yeah. heavily featured thing in in the Bendis Instagram post was Legion. Oh, that would and be so good. And it definitely makes sense for it to fall in here. What if he got Jonathan Hickman? <laughs> <laughs> well, did you see what Hickman tweeted the other day? No. So, do you no. guys know who Jordan White is? Yeah. Okay. He's a Marvel editor, yes, right? Hickman tweeted, like, because Jordan White was, was promoted to a, a senior editor position. And Hickman tweeted, it's been so long since I've been at Marvel, they're promoting people to senior editor I've never heard of before. And so I feel like there's no way he's currently doing a Marvel project if he doesn't know wow. one of their biggest editors, right? Yeah. I think that's I think that's probably a joke. Uh, I think he's coming to do Legion. <laughs> do you think Bendis saved it? If John's ruined it, do you think Bendis saved it? Did John's ruin it? I thought he ruined it because of uh, Doomsday Clock. Oh yeah, I I honestly think that John's is it, it uh, that Doomsday Clock is the last big thing we're gonna see from John's for a long time. I, He's doing Shazam though. That's not gonna be a big thing in terms of um, like impact across the whole line. But I think he's gonna get his imprint. What's it called? Killing Zone. It's yeah. so fucking dumb. Um, <laughs> and I think he's going to be kind of confined to there. And, like, Shazam's fun, but I don't think we're going to see him do anything sort of big and epic for a while at DC. I think they want him, especially because, you know, his one, his Aquaman movie did so well. I think Right. You know, uh, I, I don't think you're going to... So I, I think Legion... I think once Doomsday Clock is over, Legion is free from John's.
I think that's fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, it makes. I, I I guess I actually have no idea what Bendis and, and Hickman's working relationship was right, other than they worked on um, Secret yeah. Warriors together. Um, but I think that they are fairly friendly. Sure. I can buy that. As friendly as Hickman may be with anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so even though... Bendis has been doing the Superman books. Doesn't this feel different to you guys? Doesn't this feel like a bigger deal in a way than writing the most famous character in all of comics? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's a different. I think it's it it is and it isn't like. I, I don't this know. feels to me. Like the type of pitch that would have been rejected by ninety nine percent of the people who would have pitched it. Yes. Whereas I don't think there's anything about his Superman run yet that if somebody else did it, they wouldn't they wouldn't let you know Scott Lobdell do that story or whatever. Yeah. Like it does it doesn't right. it doesn't feel specific enough to Bendis in terms of letting him get away with something or do something weird or whatever. Like this feels very much like this is, this is happening because Bendis wanted it to happen. And we would not be getting this if it wasn't for Brian Bendis. I don't know. I don't know. If all goes well, folks, you will be hearing uh, an interview I'm doing with Brian Bendis in two days on next week's podcast. So as long as the schedules line up, we'll be having him on the show and we can talk to him about this sort of stuff. So that's super fun. Um, any other Young Justice comments? No, but uh, I'm just I'm so happy that they're back. Yeah. They're good again. And, and I have to... <laughs> I have to say, I was never. This was this is not my favorite incarnation of these characters together. Like I, I was never. Mm. This sort of came during one of my fallow comic times, where I wasn't reading as much as I did in years before or since. So I, I don't have like you know a friend of the show, Ken Godberson, is is a gigantic, specifically Young Justice fan, and so I feel like this is a very big deal to folks who identify with that particular title as as a high watermark for them and I was never that guy and I'm still really into this. So, you know, I, I think it's very good. Yeah. Young Justice is my jam. Um too. It rules. I'm excited guys. I'm excited. All right, what's next up? What do you guys want to talk about next? Deathstroke? Yeah, we can talk about Deathstroke. So next up is Deathstroke number 39, written by Priest, illustrated by Carlo Pagan-Lyon and Fernando Pissarin. Um, <laughs> this story is so fucking weird. <laughs> uh Zach, why don't you tell us, give us a, a quick little synopsis of what happened in this issue? I don't know if I can, honestly. That's why I'm passing the buck. 
Um, well, so we still don't know yet if I was right at the beginning of this arc when I, I feel like I was the only, you guys called bullshit when I thought that the alien stuff was real and we still don't know that it's real, but we're at least seeing images of it. Yeah. Which at least on some level of reality makes it real. Um, and, and the images we see are very good. (laughs) Um, I, I would, I would think that a, a Deadpool pastiche in a Deathstroke comic that makes fun of both the DCEU and like the Ryan Reynolds Deadpool would be yes. would make me gag a little, but it's kind of wonderful. In Priest We <laughs> Trust. <laughs> when he calls him Manginello. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The only thing it's it's missing is a reference to uh, Bruce Wayne in the DCEU actually being Slade Wilson. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, or whatever we decided. Um, I think the plot point of Slade having sent a distress signal that was slower than the Zeta Beam so that it reached everyone after he'd supposedly come back to Arkham mm-hmm. and we and it's and it's captioned by the wolf who cried boy. So great. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I don't really know what's happening, but it's all really good. I loved Jericho taking over Solomon Grundy's body. Uh, that was great. Everything about this issue is so much fun. Hmm. Deathstroke truly is the best Rebirth title. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's been consistently um, good the entire time. It's it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And every time he brings in, like, other, like, <clears throat> characters from other books, the Justice League, Amanda Waller gets a panel here, Damien. It's just for such a perfect purpose. You know, a couple of those panels are literally just throwaway jokes. But they work. Oh man, it's insanely good. He's so good. He he should uh, edit the bad mm-hmm. books or yep. something. <laughs> I could tell you a lot of bullshit would get cut if he was uh, editing the bad books. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, the Solomon Grundy. Yeah. You know. <sighs> you know, I don't think we talked about it, but did you guys see we're getting another uh, Teen Titans Zestro we crossover episode? Yes, arc? we are. I didn't see that, but that rules. Yeah. Oh man, Zach, to go back to your the wolf who cried boy uh, comment there, I feel like Priest Deathstroke is so intricate that even those like weird little titles that happen in the middle of the issue, a couple times in the middle of the issue, people might gloss right over those, but even those are really well considered and well thought out. Like every single thing about this these issues are so important are so poured over and given such import that the book just feels so much richer than, than, than almost anything else in the stands right now. Yeah. 
And even though I yeah. am not the world's biggest fan of Fernando Pissarin or Carlo Pagliolian, they're both good. I think that on this book they're really finding their rhythm, and I think this book looks as looks as good as you could possibly expect from these artists. Yeah, yeah, I right. They, neither of them are like go tos that I that I would say yes. I I definitely want a book with them, but I I really don't. They've kind of defined the look of this book for so long. Like I know there have been some other people like Joe Bennett and um, maybe maybe a few others that I'm forgetting. He, he definitely pops up though. Uh, but they've all kind of defined the look of this book that I can't really imagine anyone else coming in and like. Like obviously, I would love maybe for Javier Fernandez to hop in here after uh, Green Arrow is canceled, but. Even then, I don't. I just don't know if it would fit. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the things in comics that I want more of is like non-traditional superhero art. I think we kind of talk about that sure. all the time. I think anytime, anytime a comic book does something different, it it catches your eye or whatever. But I feel like on this Deathstroke, that almost doesn't. Not that it wouldn't work, but it's not necessary at all. I mean, this is like a timeless comic book, and you almost want a timeless... Because I, I don't think you can slot... The, like, this, it almost looks like a book from the 80s, and I know that from, like, reading 80s Batman, but it also could be a book from the 90s. You know what yeah, I'm saying? This yeah. is just straight up, like... It's just straight up solid superhero comic booking yeah, uh, with no frills. And be- and, um, and I think the simplicity and, and kind of um, just just very normal superhero-ness of it contrasts really well with the, the tone of the story. That was what I was about to say. And the structure. The, the, the structure yeah. and the tone are so unusual for a superhero book that having the more traditional artwork is a nice counterbalance to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so so good. I will pre-order my Christopher Priest Deathstroke omnibus right now. <laughs> it's uh, it's getting pretty big. I mean, I know we joke about the Tom King and and Josh Williamson runs of Batman and Flash, but what if we get that hundred issues of Deathstroke? Man. Oh, baby, I mean, that would take a long time at this point because it's down to to monthly. It, it now. would. It would, but I even mean, fifty of Deathstroke is pretty remarkable for this day and age. It really is, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, and that's including tie-ins and and annuals and things too. Yeah. You know, we're probably if you count the Lazarus contract, um, and you count the uh, there's been one annual so far, I think, right? I think so. That was part of the. Um, it was like the, the end of the Defiance arc, right? Yes. And yeah. there was a yeah. rebirth issue. So you figure yes. that probably puts it in the 45 issue range right now. Yeah. Oh, man. So. Yeah. DC, don't fuck this up. I mean, <laughs> it's it's been good this whole time, except for that um, one Batman arc that. 
I'll just that cut ruled. out of the omnibus and <laughs> that Batman arc was good. It was maybe not as it... good as some of the other arcs, but it was still very good. Oh, it whipped ass. I just hope that they include it somewhere else so it doesn't break the flow of the omnibus. I think when you reread it all, <laughs> you'll enjoy it. Mm. I would love to skip it and just and and read it as one unbroken story. Well, it leads directly into this story, though. No, it doesn't, because at the end of the previous arc, he's in Arkham. I guess you're right. That yeah. arc, that arc was a, a flashback. Oh, you're right. It's still good. Deal with it. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute with more DC Three Cast. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with a discussion of Martian Manhunter number 2, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Riley Rosmo. Vince, what do you think about this book? Oh, it's, it's the best, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Uh... I mean, okay. I love Steve Orlando. I love his take on John Jones. Love, love, love. I don't mean for this to sound like any... It's not criticism. It's not him playing second fiddle. But I just can't get over how good this book looks. Like, it. this looks even better than the last issue. It's... I mean, there wasn't a there wasn't a big uh, Martian having sex scene. I mean, there almost was, I guess, yeah. in the in the Pleasure Dome or whatever they called it. But uh, seduction domes, it's even sed- better. <laughs> seduction, yes. But just God, every page of this, just the 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 weird off kilter expressions, the. The colors. Oh my God! Who colored this? Um, don't tell me. Uh, Placencia. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God! The different scenes have like different color schemes, and on on Mars, it's very mm, almost neon. There's like a lot of uh, neon pinks and purples mm-hmm. and greens, but on Earth, even when uh, when the Mar- Martian Manhunter is in like the John Jones Earth disguise, there's still like a green tinge to everything, and and his partner Diane is wearing a green suit, and it just it does something to the mood of this book. It just looks so distinct. Agreed. It's a beautiful book. It it's so good. Oh, and you're talking about the the like all off kilter phrasing and things like. So, such small smart things as like 
in the in the seduction dome scene, one of the Martians uses um, heat vision, and, and John says using biothermal within city limits. Uh, that's a ticket to a freezing sentence. That like. <laughs> Each comfort spike you put into a client's mind can spread the yeah. curse. This is some Morrison stuff. I mean, we're going to get to some like real Morrison stuff <laughs> later, but like, yeah, it's insane. I this this might be. I feel like I say this every time Orlando comes out with a with a new DC book, and I, I think I said this about Electric Warriors, which is running concurrently with this. But I think this is the best thing he's done at DC yet, just from a pure like maturity of storytelling and and just trimming out any fat there's no fat on this book at all mm-hmm. eat eat Sarah Yell's sweet ass <laughs> Jones <laughs> I didn't even think you could say that in a DC comic <laughs> oh my oh. god so good apparently I, I just yeah. heard recently you can't say eat my ass on Saturday Night Live so apparently DC has looser right. standards than SNL. That's good. That good. Um, so I, I just have a, a sort of general Marshmallow Hunter question for you guys. Vince, you have you read all the stuff in Detective where he was introduced? Or, or, or where yes. he was, you know, featured? Yes. Th- this issue sort of implies that there was a John Jones before he started impersonating John Jones? Or... Did you guys get that impression, or was he always... Imp- I, I got that, too. Yeah, yeah that's how I kind of read is, is that it. always been a thing, Vince? I don't think so. Uh, they never come out and I say I don't it. remember. I don't remember. No, I don't remember that being the case. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't think so it, either. It's, I, yeah, and I don't think it was, you know, if that ever was a thing, it was not from the very start. Right. It may have been some, it may have been a retcon. Mm-hmm. It may be getting retconned right, right now. Yeah. Um, but that is the implication you guys took from this issue, also, right? That his partner is saying like, and like, unless he's just been doing a very long con. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, that's how I read it as okay. well. I think that's really interesting. I think that that's actually a much darker take on the character. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, you know, contributing to this, what is becoming this profoundly sad story. Yeah. Uh, keep talking amongst yourselves. I'm going to do a little bit of research. Okay. What will help you is um, that this is, we're recording this episode before the issue is out. So you won't be getting like results about this issue. Look that right. up. So, um, so Zach, we've seen a lot of Riley Rossmo art at DC the last couple of years. Ah, okay, got what it. Is it. It was a po- it was a post zero hour aspect of Martian Manhunter from the Grant Morrison and Porter JLA. Oh, okay. Which I don't. I read that so long yeah, ago. Same. I don't remember same. it. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll pose my question to Zach for both of you guys. I know we've seen a lot of Rossmo art at DC the last couple of years. But to me, this feels the most freewheeling of anything he's done. And I kind of can't believe DC's publishing a book that looks this weird. For 12 issues, too, right? Yeah. This isn't just a six. Yeah. Oh, man. 
I'm so I'm thankful. Someday I'll have this in a hardcover. Two hardcovers, in fact, Zach. One for <laughs> for kissing. One for not kissing. I said Zach. Brian. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's Zach. That's the joke you'll forever be known for on this podcast. I'm fine okay. with that. I'm that's fine good, with that. That's a good I joke. Know, I know. It's a good joke. The, so it was your alphabetical no, bullshit. The thing... No, it <laughs> isn't. That's the worst joke. joke. <laughs> By the way, it's sometimes creeping me. I forgot to say this. So, um, Multiversity social media extraordinaire Kate was telling me today that, telling actually all of us in the Multiversity Slack, that she had a dream that she accompanied the three of us to Into the Spider-Verse and that uh, Zach didn't talk the whole time. That my and that my car broke down on the way to the movie, and Nick Palmieri, one of our other writers, had said like, "Well, if Zach didn't talk and whatever, then Brian, you somehow fell in the middle of them." Like he he basically took our joke <laughs> and like applied it in real time, and I was like, "I'm not comfortable with people knowing our bits enough to like throw them in my face." I, I don't know. It was it was a very weird moment. We'll have to end the show. I yeah. think we've achieved saturation point. We'll all episode. go to jail, and it'll be over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're gonna be we're gonna be put in Guantanamo by uh, Tom yeah. King. <laughs> She's gonna detain us. Let's not talk about the whole controversy. <laughs> no, I'm no, not I know, even. I know, that's I know. not. I'm just, yeah, I'm just reinforcing yeah. that. That's for the off-air conversation. Um, but no, I I, th- I think this nah. issue was possibly even better than the first issue, and that's crazy because I loved the first issue. This is a uh, this is a fantastic comic. Yeah. Between this Deathstroke and another book we're going to talk about in a minute, there was some really really good stuff, really good issues this week. Yeah. Any of. Yeah, I think we're I think we're hitting the high high ones here. This is definitely a good week. Like when this week comes up next month, we're again gonna have Young Justice, Super Sons, Deathstroke, uh, Martian Manhunter, and Green Lantern together, mm-hmm. and that's a blessed week. Um, anything else to say about this issue? Just please buy it. Support this book. Yes. Agreed. All right. Well, let's let's move on over then to The Green Lantern, number three, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Liam Sharp. This is a spicy issue, guys. I mean, just that cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we essentially get like uh, the old man with a white beard who sits on a cloud version of God in this issue, um, <laughs> and uh, and how Jordan does not like him. There's so much fun, weird stuff in this issue, and then the end of the issue takes a really dark turn. Ah, um, yeah, which I did not see coming at all. Uh. Uh-uh. So, first of all, I have to say, this book continues to be funny in ways I didn't expect it to be funny. Uh-huh. There's, a, there's an amazing sequence where Hal is trying to convince the people of Earth 
that they don't want the, <laughs> oh my the, the superpowers that they have and that they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. And uh, House is something like, it's like, you, you hang on, I, I want to get this exact right. Uh, I know you can't <laughs> condemn future generations to that. And the politician goes, um, I think we can live with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Which is, which is like... <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, you'd, sacrif- you'd seriously sacrifice the lives of your great-grandchildren for short-term gain? And the whole Earth says, these are your words. Look, we have superpowers. <laughs> oh, oh, but before all of that, there's a great line, too, where he, he reveals that the the god figure is actually a, a terrivore, and that he looks like this giant monster. Um, and then the guy that he's speaking to says, Speaking on behalf of the United States and everybody else, we, uh, well, we like to think we've moved on from judging people on the basis of their appearance, Green Lantern. (laughs) It's, it's so good. People call him a fascist. (laughs) Chance and Green Lantern sucks. Green Lantern sucks. (laughs) <laughs> but then like the at the end of the, end of the issue fascist. he just murks yeah, the guy exactly. <laughs> yeah. he says I'm placing all of you under arrest until you come to your senses and he's wrapping the earth in in lantern construct police yeah. tape it's, it's oh. this is the this right here is the best book DC's publishing oh. I don't give a shit it's the best it's exactly what I want comic books to be. It looks gorgeous and weird month in and month out. It's funny. It's all of a sudden very serious and dramatic when it needs to be. Uh, he could very well turn around and make the the opening scene of the next issue a, a complete joke that undoes all of this. If I, Anything could happen, you know? Yeah. This is a book where it feels like literally anything can happen. And... It's just so damn good. And on top of all of that, it's also like a big allegory for not. I mean, it's it would be easy to say that this is about like the way that our politicians talk about global warming, you know, for like one thing. But it's not even really like that would be too obvious. It's not even really about that. It's about like. It's about the fundamental idea, the non-specific idea that, like, what are you willing to sacrifice for um, power or for things that other people don't have or for what are you willing to sacrifice for for short-term interests or short-term pleasure at the the sacrifice of your long-term health or whatever. You know, it could be anything. and Morrison just deals with that in such an interesting way and making Hal the one who's like trying to be the voice of reason mm-hmm. when he's also kind of seen as like a, a hot shot and like a serious Morrison's kind of writing him as like a as like a hardline police officer, you know, to make him like the voice of reason. It, it actually makes me like because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to think that Hal's right either. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but uh it, it's just so god it's such a it's such a strange take on on that that sort of allegorical idea i mean i think i speak for all of us when i say no one man should have all that power <laughs> oh, jesus <laughs> so let's talk about the end oh, of the issue my yeah he uh he you, lights you that guy up 
Yeah. <laughs> he uh, turned off his body cam yeah. and. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. yeah, that's about getting political. Well, and and again, like Morrison pitched this as we're gonna we're gonna cover the the Green Lantern Corps as a police corps, you know. Mm-hmm. And he does, I guess, you know, like this is a very timely thing to have ha- had happened, and yet, and yet, I can imagine next issue it not being such a big deal, you know. It's a very chilling moment to end on, but I mean. We don't, it, know that, again, we don't know that dude's dead. We don't know nothing, you know. Right. And it's the, the the thing about comics is that they dick with you all the time about stuff like that. So is is that what's going on here too, you know? Or is it or is it really meant to be as dark as it seems? That final page sure is pretty grim. Um Yeah. God, it's good. I'm 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 so thrilled that I don't know what to think about it, you know? Yes, it, it's certainly not giving easy answers right now. It's forcing you to think about a challenging idea here. And yet Morrison makes it just seem so effortless. It really does. I'm arresting you for participation in planet trafficking activities. Yep. Oh, also dropping uh, very casually fifth world terminology. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like it's nothing. Yeah. Which, which, when, when was the last time? I, w- I want to say f- maybe Final Crisis, but yeah. maybe like, maybe even like JLA, honestly. I can't really <laughs> remember if Final Crisis. Prices actually use that that kind of term or alluded to that necessarily. I feel like uh, I feel like we've talked about it on the show recently. Did we talk about it within the context of like uh, Mister Miracle or something like that? Mm, maybe I think maybe <laughs> we might have. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But it's great. It is really good. This, I, I still just can't believe that this book is a thing. <laughs> we are blessed. We are blessed. Hashtag, hashtag blessed. Yep. All right. Let's move on to our final uh, full review of the week which is The Unexpected number 8, the finale of the series, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Ronan Cliquet. Uh, never a more Macho Man Randy Savage cover in all of comics. <laughs> what did you guys think of this final issue? It, it, it was fine. There were there were things that I did like about it. Um, particularly, I guess the resolution with Mandrak, and kind of adding another layer of connection between Final Crisis and Metal, 
and, and kind of tying up that completing that circle again, I guess. Because mm-hmm. um, now you've got Mandrak, and he's going to basically eat the dark multiverse. <laughs> That's pretty bonkers ending. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this book suffers a little bit from, from being connected to this dying uh, line of books. That I think all I think all the elements of a good Orlando book are there, you know. Um, I think it's remarkable, and again, he's doing this in Electric Warriors right now too. How he takes these um, essentially two or three main characters that we really know know knew nothing about before reading the first issue, and created like fully formed characters out of them like by the end uh i actually like what's his name the the macho man guy yeah. uh bad samaritan mm-hmm. or uh quench i think uh, Alden, Alden quench yep yeah. yep yep by the yeah by the end of this issue like i actually legitimately like him rather than just like finding him appealing by his look and by sort of he was sort of you know set up to be the bad guy and like eventually anti-hero, right. you know, but, mm-hmm. uh, but like you legitimately see from his point of view and, and neon and firebrand are very likable by the end of this. And th- there's some real moments that, that kind of eke out some, some real heart out of characters that I don't have any business giving a shit about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I do, and that, that's interesting. It's it's not on the same level, I don't think, as Electric Warriors or Martian Manhunter for me. But you can see Orlando honing those elements here, and I think I think it was there all along. Um, it just got to, it's it's just tied into this uh, dark matter stuff. I couldn't care less about at this point. Yeah. The New Age of Heroes yeah. connection does really bring it down. Um, but I thought the issue was 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 good for what it was. It brings the story to a, um, a you know a, a pretty thorough conclusion. It um, it allows some nice moments for those characters, like you said, Vince. And I think that the Mandrak thing at the end is a thread that they probably won't be picking up on anytime soon, but does leave open for a future storyteller to pick up at some point. Like, the next time the Snyder does something in the Dark Multiverse where characters are traipsing through there, you can show Mandrak doing his thing in there. Hmm. <laughs> what does that mean? It's eating some Dark Multiverse shit. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I never thought that we would. I mean, I guess obviously, like not never, but I mean, did I think that we would get a, a Mandrak appearance in this decade? No. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we were talking about how much we enjoyed the first few issues of this. I think this that the first few issues of this felt so different than all the other New Age of Heroes stuff, but eventually even though it never quite moved into that similar feel of like, you know, the silencer or whatever, it just, 
it could only stay above the the fray for so long. So, mm-hmm. yeah, fairly uh, well unexpected. We'll see you never. Uh, so let's talk about the our, our lists for this week before we get into the, the little micro reviews here. Uh, on the good list, the Adventures of the Super Sons, and this issue of Green Arrow was really good. Uh, great Javier Fernandez art, right, Vince? Yes, absolutely. Gorgeous. Uh, the OK list featured Justice League, which is a bit wordy for our taste, and United States versus Murder Inc. And uh, the bad list featured Batman Kings of Fear. Nightwing, Suicide Squad, Black Files, and The Curse of Brimstone. I had nothing really to say about those comics. Vince liked Fat Batman from uh, <laughs> Batman Kings of Fear. Yeah. Or, or as we shall forever call him, and no one's ever used this term before, Fat Man. <laughs> Fat Man on Batman, as, as, as Zach pointed no, out. No one's ever done no. that before, though. Super creative. That's our meal ticket right there. We should copyright that. Yep. All right, let's talk about... Where does he get those humongous shorts? Jorts <laughs> <laughs> uh, are us. <laughs> let's talk about a couple more issues real quickly. We're going to talk about Batman number 62, written by Tom King, <sighs> illustrated by Mitch Garrods. So I, I said to our friend Walter... Walter Richardson, editor in Exile Multiversity today, that Tom King keeps finding new ways to make me hate his Batman run. (laughs) And this issue is no exception. This issue drove me really crazy at the very end, but I have to say, this issue does a classic Batman thing that I don't think we see enough. Uh, I'm not saying this issue does it well, but I liked the idea of seeing Batman's detective work going on while he's fighting somebody like that's not a new that's not a tom king idea exclusively but it's been a while since we've seen batman trying to piece everything together while he's in the middle of a fight and i've always Mm -hmm. liked that element of batman yeah i i agree i think that part is i think that aspect is written really stupidly though absolutely yeah yeah i i I think you, you almost even have to squint to call it that as what's happening (laughs) (laughs) to tilt your head a little and hold your nose and zach how did you describe this comic in the text to us i said it was like a three foot long turd that slides directly down the toilet drain without requiring flushing (laughs) that has pull quote written all over it baby (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and I, I i meant it the analogy like really has meaning because the way that the text the the dialogue just snakes down the page in a fluid <laughs> motion that you don't even notice and like by the end of the issue semi by the end of the issue you're left with nothing no sign that there was ever a comic read um <laughs> No discernible story that took place. <laughs> so let's let's talk about um, this. So, so Batman wakes up. The issue begins with Batman waking up, and he is he has been captured by Professor Pig. He can't hear anything, which he never ceases to stop saying. He just every five minutes, why can't I hear anything? 
Um, and he's trying to figure out how he got here. He's he's essentially doing the first verse of um, Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. You know. <laughs> well, you know what he is. He's asking himself, he's... "How did he get here? How does how do I work? Yeah, this? how did yeah. I get? No, he's so he's he's fighting Professor Pig in this mm-hmm. story. He's the begging strips dog. <laughs> you know the you know the begging strips commercial. It's Pig. <laughs> It's it's bacon. It's that's him. Like the the dog talks to himself and repeats over and over again, and then eventually realizes that it's bacon. You know, like tell me he is not the bacon strips dog in this fucking comic. I could pull out another drill tweet right now if I wanted to. Uh, <laughs> he he's also kind of doing a riff on Cotton Eye Joe. You know, how'd you get here? How'd you get out? Where'd you come from? <laughs> and I was going to say that I feel like this issue establishes that Tom King is the comics. What Rainer Wolf Castle is to stand up comedy. Where like, he says, <laughs> that's the metaphor in the middle of the issue. Well, yeah, that's another thing. <sighs> can I say my yes, piece yes, on can. that? All right. Here's the thing that bu- bugs the piss out of me about, Tom King's writing and it's you know in Mr. Miracle a book that I really otherwise liked it's one of the little annoyances that I can overlook but I can't overlook it in Batman because it's literally in almost every issue at this point it feels like which is let's go back a little bit Professor Pig created by Grant Morrison right Creates Professor Pig as an obvious Pygmalion allegory, but doesn't doesn't need to come out and say it. Pygmalion's the story of like this person who fell in love with their. I mean, Tom King explains it in the issue, right? Falls in love with the with the sculpture creation, right? Professor Pig creates these Dolatrons and becomes attached to one in particular. I believe I don't what, that one that like was his sidekick for a bit, and then, like, Damien saved her. Yes. Right? I mean, it's the Pygmalion story, but it's they don't, like, call attention to it, but it's obvious that that's what it is, and his name is Pig, spelled like P-Y-G, the first three letters yeah. of Pygmalion, but then is also, like, an anthropomorphic pig villain so that it fits in with Batman's, like, weird rogues gallery, right? It's, like, the perfect new Batman villain, right? I mean, it's the best Batman villain of the last 25 years, probably. Sure. And Tom King goes, oh, yeah, that's great. Hey, how about I just tell everybody what Pygmalion is? And it's, like, that's what he does. You know, he, he... at the end of this issue, he says it's a myth, a, a metaphor, a story, whatever. No, all it's you fucking new, do. It's the new Dashboard Confessional album. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. All you do is metaphor, and all you do is explain it to the audience. When, 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 when if you look at the creation of Professor Pig and how that played out, it didn't need to be explained to us. And it worked whether you understood what Pygmalion was or not. Right. Right? It just annoys the shit out of me that that Tom King has to lecture you on all the books that he's read in his life. <laughs> you know? While that is certainly annoying, that isn't, to me, the most annoying part of this issue, which was uh-huh. the ending of this issue. So 
we have talked in the past about how there have been a bunch of Tom King issues that feel like they're 100% artifice and they're 0% story. But this is the most egregious example of that, isn't it? Yeah. Like, by far, of all of his entire run so far. So, essentially, Vince, tell us, why can't Batman hear anything? I don't even remember at this point. Why don't you just tell us? Because it's a dream. Uh, Is it, though? I don't know. I think so. Yeah, exactly. There's no, like, is it? First it's of all, the, the the it was all a dream. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what the arc is is called, you know. But the the whole like it was all a dream thing. I'm so sick of that being like. Well, I guess that's how you could explain this, you know. It's very lazy. Yeah, it's it's, and Tom King does it in a way where it feels like in every issue he's like, I'm the smartest writer in the world. I'm gonna I'm gonna write a bunch of shit that doesn't make any concrete sense and I'm going to leave it up to you to decide whether any of it's real or this, not this which is, is exactly what happened in that issue with the uh, the fucking kid the Bruce Wayne kid yeah we're just like at two thirds through the issue they just decide that oh no uh, I guess I guess that kid is is not who we've been saying he is this entire issue and that's kind of what happens here too oh no it's not Professor Pig it's Damien but it's a dream <laughs> Right, but what, you know, usually that comes with some sort of, like, and maybe I'm just too dumb to see it, but, like, usually that comes with some sort of uh, thematic element, you know? But but why would it be Damien? It doesn't... I've been racking my brain for much more than I should about a comic book that I fucking hate... To figure out why it would make sense that it's Damien at the end. Like, on a, on a metaphorical level. You know? Why? Is it because Batman has created Damien? Like, physically, you know, he's his father, so he is... So Batman is to Damien as Professor Pig is to the... To his creations? I don't think that that holds true at oh, all. I think that's more true of... Yeah, that's more true of Talia. Yeah. I and 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 it doesn't it just it it doesn't track, you know. And 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 I would say that maybe next issue again, I don't want writer the last thing I want a writer to do is to hand feed you everything and like explain explain all this stuff, you know. But the problem is is that we're we're going to get the very next issue and based on the way these last two issues went, it's going to be some completely different it's not going to reference this again at all, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think this is what, like a five or six issue arc. It's still, yeah, the, the last elicitations that came out was still nightmares. Or maybe it's longer. He, he uh, I think this one actually may be longer. This may be well, like, you know, earlier this year, Tom King... Well, uh, I, I, Tom King like put out a roadmap for for the next like twenty or thirty issues of Batman. And I remember there was like a twelve to fifteen issue arc, and then there was a six issue arc somewhere. Um, I don't remember. He he had it mapped out for a while. Actually, I think there's one arc that's gonna like run from like issue eighty to one hundred and five or something, the to the very end. 
Um, but isn't this arc bisected by the Flash crossover? Oh, it might be. Um, or maybe that... I can't remember when that that's, is. That's that, did, that did get that's solicited. February, you're yeah. right. Yeah, you're right. So maybe it did. Let me... I'm trying to find that... Um, that tweet. And I'm looking up the March solicitations now. Brilliant radio. <sighs> we do. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I just we can't stand this, this all out. Like, Oh, I can't stand I this. I'm smarter than you shit that this book does. Oh, God. Oh, this this just feels like such a waste of time. It feels like padding to get to 105 Here we issues go. or whatever it is. Okay. Go for um, it. So... So 61 through 69 is nice. Nightmares with a break... Uh, for at 64 and 65 mm-hmm. for the flash crossover 70 to 74 is an art called the fall and the fallen and then 75 to 105 Jesus Christ. okay no, no well he okay so he says 75 to blank a huge bat event with a secret name that sets us up for the end at 105 okay What if what if that secret event in the end is just fucking amazing? What if it's what if it's the story that finally puts Batman in the spotlight? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, it would be about time. Yeah. It's never happened. I mean <laughs> we've been going like seventy years at this point, seventy five, and I don't think this character is ever gonna catch on. Specifically but... this title. <laughs> never. Never. <laughs> It'll either be it'll either be this or the Matt Reeve Batman movie, but <laughs> yeah, long overdue. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. All right, um, Zach, you want to talk about the dreaming, right? Yeah, I read it and I liked it um, quite a bit. Who wrote it and illustrated some... it, Zach? Um, it. Oh, you would <laughs> ask me that on this one issue that had a fill-in artist. Um, so it is the normal team of Cy Spurrier and Bill Quisevoli, and then there is also um, Abigail Larson does some pages as well. And those were... Those pages were pretty in line with with uh, Evely's art, but noticeably not quite as good. Um but still, like very Vertigo esque. They they were fine. It was a good it was a good assist. Um, but we get some really great moments between uh, Dora and Lucian in this issue. Um, uh, nice kind of some like revelation about what is up with Dora. And then um, at the end, we get the return of Dream. Um, and there's this interesting thing where he is leaving, but it's not of his own will. And then uh, the judge is doing some 
kind of magic with like lucid dreamers and it's it's weird but he's building something so some there it seems like there's going to be a huge status quo change at the end of the next issue interesting any 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 guesses or i really have no idea um i haven't read this one yet but i'm definitely definitely planning on it i just couldn't get it done before the yeah, like it. I really don't know what it could be. I mean, we may get like a new dream. We may get, gosh, we could get like whole new endless. I mean, that's like maybe like aiming a little high, but it it really does seem like they're going for a big shakeup here. Six issues in seems a little early to do that, but I think it's cool. Go for it, you know. Well, I kind of see it as like I feel like this arc has been kind of a bridge between what was and maybe what Spurrier really wants to do. That's fair, yeah. I could see that. I'm excited yeah. to go back and check this out. This this is the only book I think that I'm still following in the Sandman universe stuff though, at least closely. I'm still reading books of magic. I'm one behind on that now too, but I plan on I plan on reading it that because that was really good too, and that's a that's a pretty breezy it read is, too. Yeah. It's not quite as dense. Um, I, I wanted to talk briefly about Harley Quinn Fifty Seven, written by Sam Humphreys, illustrated by John Timms. This issue does uh, two things I think are are, interest, are interesting. The first is that it continues Humphreys' run of taking Harley off planet. In this issue, she's approached by uh, uh, Tamarian. Is that how we say the planet that uh, Starfire's from? She's from Tamarin. So I guess. She's from Tamarin, so I always thought it was Tamaranian. Tamaranian. To basically go through the Tamaranian trials, or six trials, to become like a cosmic sword wielder of Tamarin. And it's just interesting that Harley Quinn is a character that has traditionally just stayed in Gotham, you know? And how. Uh, one of the big things that Humphreys has done is bring her to various corners of the of the cosmic world, and I didn't think I would like that, but it's been pretty fun to see him do that. And uh, it doesn't it, it's it's introduced here, but it hasn't really happened yet. And the other thing he does is he has a really interesting interaction between Batman and Harley Quinn, where Harley Quinn apparently has been set up for a crime, and Batman does not believe her that she didn't commit it. And it was um, it's one of the few times we've seen these two characters interact without the Joker as the buffer between them in a while. And I think that there's some actually some pretty good characterization on both characters there on Humphrey's part. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's not the world's best issue or anything, but I thought there were, there were two, two things worth mentioning about that. I can't believe I'm the one reading Harley Quinn now. You're the Harley Quinn <laughs> fan. It's it's destined to be one of us <laughs> rotating until the end of time or until the end of the series. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what's coming up next week, folks. We got the second issue of The Batman Who Laughs. We got Catwoman. Uh, Electric Warriors. Uh, second issue of Goddess Mode. Justice League Dark, which I feel like it's been a minute since we've had a Justice League Dark issue. Feels like it, yeah. Yeah. The finale of Suicide Squad. 
Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to read yep. that. I'm going to look at the last page and okay. that's it. That's my solemn what vow. If it's just um Killer Croc. Puking. Killer Croc puking. I was yeah. going to say something about Killer Croc puking while Captain Boomerang shits his pants. <laughs> the aristocrat. Exactly. I just got an issue of Titans, Wonder Woman, Supergirl. How do you make an ass? Catwoman. <laughs> I can't finish. Tech, The Flash, Hawkman. Finally getting that Hawkman Krypton issue, maybe. I keep saying that. Oh, Hawkman. Yeah. Oh, baby. Yeah. Oh. Oh. And, uh, yeah, will the solicits be out next time? No. Today's the. Fr- and they're changing when the solicits are released now because of Diamond. So, oh really? When when are they I now? Thursdays now, like the third Thursday. Mm, but still, like, like the, the third. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll see. But uh, so, so that won't be until twenty to seventeenth. I think it's next Thursday, or the, possibly even the Thursday after. I don't know if it's like the third Thursday or the third full week you know what I mean? or like like yeah 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 because i think this is a is this a five thursday it, it might month? be yeah oh yeah it is oh what are we getting on the 30th uh, i can look in a second is this are we getting bugs bunny shit <laughs> well do we just have bugs bunny shit or do we just have hannah barbera shit I don't even remember at this point. Or they haven't announced any more of that. To be fair, they could have. I don't think they did, though. On the 30th, we are getting... You know what? No, it's a normal week because I think... Remember, there was supposed to be... All this stuff was supposed... All of last week's books were supposed to ship on the 26th. Yeah. So this just... This five-week January catches us back up to where we're supposed to be. Right, right. So this week is technically like the first week of January books. Yes, exactly. Okay. Man, that that 30th is actually looking pretty stacked. It's Action, uh, Doomsday Clock, Flash Annual, Heroes in Crisis, Justice League Annual, Mysteries of Love and Space. But that's a long way off. Why are we talking about that now? (laughs) I mean, get excited for Doomsday Clock. Yeah. I actually kind of am. I am certainly more interested now than I've ever been before. And I don't know about that. Well, I wasn't speaking for you, so uh, <laughs> mind your business. I was, okay. though. I was. <laughs> Zach was. Zach always does. So until next time, you can find two-thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at Willem Dafoe. <sighs> Last time, Zach, I promise. Next week, you won't hear it. I love the podcast. It's over. <laughs> well, don't, don't look for me on Twitter. But if they wanted to, where would they? You, you won't find me. Where won't they find you? But if you, but if, if you typed in the symbols at W-I-L-K-E-R-F-O-X and typed a message, I might see it. If you want to get in touch with Vince, just uh, the one thing you shouldn't do is go see Aquaman because he won't do that. 
So just hang out at some sort of old cranks club where they don't go to the movies, and you maybe you'll find him. <laughs> and until next time, enjoy your comics, and we'll see you soon. At last, Rick Grayson's here to kick some ass.